And welcome to episode 115 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And we're doing this virtually. How are you doing, darling? We are doing it virtually, but our next episode we will be recording together, so. We will. Yay. Just one episode closer to in person. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) She was doing some kind of cheerleading thing over there. Wasn't quite sure what that was. Can you tell I've been with toddlers all day? (laughs) Adult conversation. (laughs) Oh, boy. And what better to talk about killings and ghosts? (laughs) Hey, I really like that sweatshirt that you were posing with. The pink one. Basically Ah. a detective. Yeah, because I'm basically a detective. I loved it and I'm waiting for mine to come. And if you guys want to check that out, go check out Forensic Miles. That's M-Y-L-E-S dot com. I love their stuff. Like I might have ordered a couple more items. (laughs) And I know it's summertime, but that sweatshirt is it's so soft and oh. And it's and from pink what and I so read, cute. they just get softer every time you wash them. They're so soft. I'm very anxious. I'm getting the black one. But besides my soft sweatshirt and <laughs> I lit my cappuccino candle and I poured myself a cocktail. So I am so ready for this episode. Mom has the true crime this week. I have the paranormal and the cocktail and it's delicious. What is it? What is it? What is it? I don't get to drink it, but what is it? Okay. I just lied. I don't know if it's delicious. I haven't tried it yet. I made it, but I was going to give my first sip on the podcast. So <laughs> okay, maybe it's not delicious. We shall find out. I am drinking the Jack Rose. And I think we've steered away from the state thing, like the state cocktail. So we've kind of gone with the uh, theme of our paranormal. <laughs> yes, we've kind of gone with that because I don't know. I feel like we can find more drinks that way. And I think it's creative. It's more creative this way. I I love it. I have. Yeah, I've I've had more fun doing it this way. Uh, I want to tell you why I picked this cocktail, but you're gonna have to wait till my portion for why. (laughs) Okay. But this is the Jack Rose cocktail. And it was really popular in the 1920s and the 30s. It's supposedly sweet and tart. The recipe called for two ounces of Applejack. And I was like, like the cereal? Like I didn't know what <laughs> what that was. So I Googled Applejack and it said a good substitute would be Calvados, C-A-L-V-A-D-O-S. And I went, no idea what that is. So I Googled that and I even Googled like, can you use apple bourbon? instead of Applejack or Calvados. And essentially, they're the same thing. Okay. The Apple Bourbon is? Apple Bourbon and Applejack and Calvados are the same exact thing. Okay. I Googled it. And Apple Brandy comes from France. Mm -hmm. And the most common Apple Brandy is Calvados. So it's kind of like that whole champagne thing that you did. Like champagne and sparkling (laughs) and all that. And Calvados is the Normandy region of France where that liquor originated. Okay, cool. So Applejack is an American liquor. Right. And it gets its name, of course, from apples, um, but also from the jacking process where they freeze, distill, and like 
makes kind of like a hard cider and then they remove the ice. Okay, so it has nothing so, to do with Jack Daniels. No, it has nothing to do with Jack Daniels. So an Apple Jack is essentially an apple liqueur. So I can use apple brandy, which is what I used. And you and I both love that. We did. Yeah, yeah we do. We really love that E&J apple brandy. Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. So I used that. I hope I didn't lose you guys, but <laughs> two ounces of apple jack or Calvados or apple brandy. Then one ounce of a lemon or a lime juice. I did lemon juice and then a dash of grenadine. You shake the ingredients together in a shaker. You strain into a chilled martini glass. Nice. Da, 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 da. And then the website I'm on, mixthatdrink.com. The exact words I thought would throw you. No garnish required. I was going to say, no need for garnish. (laughs) It says, no garnish required, but a slice of apple or a twist of an apple peel would be the choice for it. No ice. No. (laughs) Okay. Nope. I'm about to drink it. All right. Hmm. Sweet? No. Oh. I would probably add like a simple syrup or something to get some sweet. It's very, very tart. Even with the grenadine? With the Yes, because it's just a splash of grenadine. Oh. And an ounce of the lemon or the lime juice and then two ounces of Applejack. It's pretty tart. An it's ounce, not bad. An, an ounce of lemon would be pretty darn tart. Yeah. It's really not bad. But I think if I were to make this cocktail again, I would do a little bit of simple syrup. Okay. Wow. But you're not you're not gonna toss it down the drain. No, toss it down my gullet. <laughs> Cheers. That is tasty. Cheers. I'll cheers you with my water. I'm not drinking anything tonight. All right, are we ready? We are comfortable and ready. All right. Okay, to begin with, I don't know how I get these twisted stories. I mean, there was a time <laughs> there where you were like telling stories about kids all the time. You remember that? <laughs> How could I forget? Now I'm on this streak about just twisted stories. I mean, I chose the Sherry Pepina case, so I'll take the credit for that one. And I chose it because it was so weird. But then you told me to look into this case that I'm going to do. And I know that you know about it, but maybe not the insides of it. I'm talking about the Lululemon murder in Bethesda, Maryland. So I'm sure many of our listeners have heard about it. I was not familiar with it. So that's why it was interesting for me to look into this. I'm excited for this because I remember the case. Like I remember the, you know, the case in general, but I don't remember all the little details. So I'm really excited to hear this again. Okay. Because you listened to a podcast, an earlier podcast on this many years ago. Yes. I think you said. Yeah. Okay. Listeners, you're going to find out a little a little thing about me. Uh, Beth is real into brand names. I'm not, I'm not saying she wears them, but she's very familiar with brand names. My mom is not a fashion. I am not. Okay. <laughs> Full disclosure, I hate to shop. I hate to shop. My little brother and I, Michael, we love to shop. <laughs> we love to go shopping. My mother hates it. I have no idea where we got it because we could go and shop all day. And my mom is like, I need a winter coat. I need a winter coat. I need a winter coat. But I refuse (laughs) to go out and get a winter coat. (laughs) 
That is my mother. My mother had the same winter coat for probably like 30 plus years. I remember her in the coats that she's wearing today when I was a little kid. Well, you know, the thing is, you get coats that will never go out of style and then you can wear them forever. Unless you get too big to wear them, which, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I am a bit of a fashionista. I love it. Yes. And so is your brother. So when you said Lula Ma, Lula Lemon, well, I just. Yep. You've proven your point right there. <laughs> I just kind of looked at you with a really stupid look. And you said, oh, mom, it's a big name brand. Oh, yeah. Probably one of the reasons I didn't know about it is. Full disclosure again, I am not an athlete. Never was, never will be. I claim it. I own it. Now, I do walk a lot. You know that. I love to walk trails, and I love to do that hike and that kind of stuff, but I just don't like to do anything else. That being said, I do not like yoga or anything like that. <laughs> and Athleisure the, wear. The Lululemon. <laughs> now, I like wearing like yoga pants and stuff, but Lululemon <laughs> is like top of the line athletic wear especially Mm -hmm. like yoga type stuff I think I have like two of their pieces and that's only because my aunt Chris gave me a gift card for my birthday one year oh really yeah see that I didn't even know that (laughs) and I love the pieces I have but they are a bit pricey uh yeah yeah the company was founded in Vancouver Canada in 1998 so it's relatively I mean new Sorry, she's choking on her drink. It kind of burns. It's kind of like a sweet tart. That's exactly what this tastes like. It tastes exactly like a sweet tart. (laughs) Exactly like a sweet tart. I am not even exaggerating. Yes, I did choke, but... Okay, I don't... (laughs) It tastes like a sweet tart. Okay, moving on. It's a newer company. I am listening. 1998. In the 2010s, the company sales were soaring soaring worldwide. To be honest, looking at the models wearing the leggings and the sports bras, there's no question as to why I never ventured into Lululemon world. <laughs> oh, by the way, little thing, the employees are not referred to as employees or associates or salespeople. They are Aren't they like educators. Educators. Or yeah. Yes, That's they right. are educators. Because they educate people about the clothing. Okay. So that's Lululemon and a little bit about me. And now on to the crime. On March 12th at 8 a.m., Lululemon manager Rachel Ortilli walked to the storefront to open the store. She was very surprised to find that the front door was unlocked. When she stepped into the store, she saw that all the lights were on and it looked as if a cyclone had hit it. Clothes and items were strewn everywhere. And then she noticed shoe prints identified in red, after which she heard a female moaning. Scared, she ran out of the store and enlisted the help of a man who was waiting outside the Apple store, which was right next door. As he entered the store, Rachel called 911. The man who entered the store probably later wished he had waited to purchase that Apple product instead of waiting <laughs> no. in line for the Apple store to open. Because what he saw will probably stay with him for the rest of his life. There was blood everywhere. There was a woman lying on the floor of the bathroom. Her arms and feet were bound by zip ties. She was beaten up, cut, and not speaking. But every now and then she would moan. She was alive. Next, he discovered another woman's body lying on the floor of the back room by the exit door. She was not moving or moaning. 
She was lying in a pool of blood, with blood splashed everywhere around her. It looked like there was blood spray going up as far as five feet up the wall. Oh, my gosh. This was a murder scene. Police came quickly, as did EMS. The woman in the back room was identified as Jaina Murray, a 30-year-old finishing her master's degree in business administration at John Hopkins University in D.C. She was born 22 November 1980 in, do you know that she was born in Wichita, Kansas? Oh, I had no idea. And she grew up in Texas. There was so much blood on her and around her that it was impossible to say how she actually had died. That was going to have to be identified by the medical examiner. The other woman, the one found in the bathroom, had her arms zip-tied above her head. There was blood on her and around her, but the amount was nowhere close to Jaina's scene. Her clothes were torn, and there was a torn or a cut slit in the crotch area of her pants. It looked like she had been sexually assaulted. The woman was identified as 28-year-old Brittany Norwood who had just a month ago transferred to the Bethesda Lululemon store from one in Georgetown. Oh, gosh, darn it. She said nothing at the scene. I mean, she didn't talk to anybody at the scene. But later, when interviewed by Detective Dimitri Ruvin in the hospital, she told the story of what happened. And this is what she said. She and Jaina who was filling in for another educator. So Jaina wasn't even scheduled to work that night. Shoot, um, this is like the Burger she, Chef murder. Exactly, but she had been My called, gosh. and so she filled in. Her and Jaina were working with the store manager in the afternoon and into the evening of the previous day, okay? So mm-hmm. the day before they were found. The manager left at 7 p.m., leaving Jaina in charge. Jaina and Brittany did not know each other very well since Brittany had just transferred and they'd only worked together a few shifts. They closed the store at 9 p.m. and started cleaning and getting the store ready for the next day. They talked some as they worked. Everything was fine. The women left the store and locked up at 9.45. At 9.49, Brittany called another educator from the store and asked for Jaina's phone number. She had left her wallet at the store, she said, and wanted to call Jaina to meet her back at the store so she could get her wallet because she didn't have a key. And her wallet contained a Metro card for her ride home. Remind me about that Metro card, okay? Just as a little weird thing about it. Okay. Jaina agreed to meet Brittany at the store. They entered at 10.05. The women were surprised and terrified when two men entered the store right behind them. The men wore all black and wore black ski masks. Masks. That's another word I have trouble with. (laughs) Ski masks, which covered their faces. One was a bit taller than the other. That was the only description Brittany could give them. Oh, my gosh. It's like the bearded man and the non-bearded man. Uh, Yeah. And and the two uh, Hispanic women that supposedly abducted Sherry Pepini. (laughs) That's right. Men proceeded to separate the women. One took Jaina back to the back room and the other had Brittany. Brittany was told to empty the till and the safe. The man then beat her and cut her with a knife, then went on to sexually abuse her, yelling racial slurs at her and calling her all kinds of names. Meanwhile, she heard terrible noises coming from the back room. She knew Jaina was in trouble but could do nothing about it. 
The man then tied her up, and both men left the store with the stolen money. Now, interestingly enough, police did find surveillance footage of two men who looked to be wearing ski masks walking by the Lululemon store around the time of the murder. But after looking into the footage, police found that the men were workers at a nearby restaurant, and they always walked by the store on their route home. Oh, shoot. So they didn't capture. Was there any surveillance? No, they have no evidence about these guys. I mean, they thought they got lucky with the footage, but not that the footage really showed much at all. I saw it. Detective Reuven, after questioning Brittany and looking closely at the aftermath of the attack, just felt something was off. You know, those. (laughs) Obi does, too. Let me put my dog out. (laughs) Why are you so excited, big guy? What's he all excited about? I don't know. (laughs) One of the things that really stood out was how Brittany described the men. Racist, rapists, robbers, and murderers. I mean, could you get any worse? (laughs) These are super, super, super bad guys. Also, if these men were as they were described, why didn't they carry any weapons? I mean, what, what did they use? What... Was this planned? What did they just happen to be wearing ski masks as they walked down the road? Yeah. You know, there was just so many weird things about it. It is weird because like they had already left. It's not like they knew that the store closed at nine and then. Well, maybe around. Maybe they had planned to rob the store and they knew they had left. And so they were surprised when they came back for the wallet. Oh, sure. But. If they were going to rob the store, why didn't they bring anything with them? It looked like all the items used to injure and hurt the women were from the store. Even the zip ties that were used to bind Brittany were from the store, from a package in the back room. And why did the bloody shoe prints, which were from a size 14 men's tennis shoe, why were they only found in the store and not heading out of the store? So they're... They were just walking, you know, the the bloody footprints were just walking all around in the store. Another interesting thing about that is there were just two two prints in the store, and that was Jaina's and the bloody size 14 shoe. There were no other footprints. Not even Brittany's? Not even Brittany's. And the size 14 shoe, there was only one. Right, and there's supposed to be two men. Right, exactly. Brittany was called in for another round of questioning the following day. She stuck to her story. Didn't change anything. The police found Jaina's car in a parking lot three blocks away from the store. What they found added even more mystery to this. Brittany's DNA, as well as Jaina's blood, was found in Jaina's car. When Brittany was brought in for yet another interview, she adamantly swore that she had never been in Jaina's car. Even after being told about the blood and the DNA, she was like, she stuck to her story. She's never been in that car. Until two days later, Brittany called the detective and told him that she had forgotten. But she was, in fact, in Jaina's car because the attackers had told her to move it since it was parked in a no parking spot because Jaina was just going to open the door for her, grab the wallet, and leave, right? Okay. So the car had been left in a no parking spot. So I guess the guys had told her to move it. Hmm. Why wouldn't she tell police that earlier? She said she just forgot it because of all the trauma. 
They told her they knew where she lived because they had seen something in her wallet, her bills or something in her purse. And so they knew where she lived and they would kill her there at her house if she didn't come back. So, okay, big question. Why didn't she notify the policeman that she drove by on her way to the parking lot? She didn't flag him down. She didn't do anything. Or why didn't she drive directly to the police station? She said she was scared. She told the detective she was scared to death and she thought that they were going to kill her. And so she didn't do any of that. So she parked the car and then walked back to the Lululemon store. And how far away was this car parked? Three blocks. Why? Why was it parked? Why did she park it so far away? Because there's a parking place there. There's a parking lot. She probably parked it at the closest parking lot. But remember, too, this is at 10, somewhere between 10 and 11 at night. So So the closest parking spot. Yeah, but there's still people, you know, kind of. It's not crowded, but there's still people walking around, too. You know, it's not totally deserted. I don't know that. I don't know the area. It's a very upscale, very upscale area with wine open bars shopping and, mall and, and restaurants. And, and you know, stuff. there would have been people walking around. Okay. By this time, there was plenty of evidence directing the detectives towards Brittany as the killer. So here is what really happened. Everything happened just as Brittany said it did. Up to when the women were ready to leave and lock up the store. It was and is Lululemon's policy that when closing, the employees check each other's bag for stolen items. Mm-hmm. We had to do that at Victoria's Secret. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. This initially, I think, sounds like a good idea, but I think it could go south because it's like, you know, if let's say I find something in your bag, then you can say, oh, she's just getting back at me. And I don't know, or else, how about we are best friends and we both have something in our bag, you know? Yeah, I see that. But like, I always, we always closed up with the manager though. And it was the manager who would check everybody's bag. That's true. And then the manager would have one of us check her bags. Yeah, the manager's bag had to be checked too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we never, I don't ever remember closing up without a manager present. That's probably right. You're probably right. But but talking about that, there were so many shoplifters at Victoria's Secret. It is insane. Well, you're talking about little underwear. You could put those anywhere. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff happened when I worked there. That is an episode all on its own from weird, creepy men making phone calls. And oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> Back to Lula Lemon. Sorry. While checking Brittany's bag, Jaina found an $80 pair of yoga pants. Brittany swore that she had purchased the pants, but looking through the day's receipts, Jaina could not find the sale of the yoga pants. She looked at all the day's receipts? I guess so. I mean, she had to prove that she didn't buy them, you know? Sure. The theft was actually not unexpected. According to several sources, Brittany was suspected of stealing merchandise as well as money, but there was no hard evidence. Store managers had even thrown around the idea of putting hidden cameras throughout the store just to catch Brittany. Oh, no. She unfortunately had a history of stealing. A little bit about Brittany. She grew up in Washington State, and at high school in Federal Way, Washington, she was actually described as a funny, kind girl. But more than that, she was known for her exceptional soccer skills. 
Because of her skills as a defender, she was offered a soccer scholarship from Stony Brook University in Long Island, New York. But she lost that scholarship and was kicked out of school in 2003 for stealing from a number of teammates and classmates. Shoot. Yeah. Uh, They also, her classmates and teammates also said that she had a propensity of stealing, but she also lied a lot. They would catch her in lies quite a, quite often. Well, how was her home life? She had old, uh, I think, older brothers and sisters. Uh, very good mother and a father. Her brothers and sisters were very successful. Uh, her parents were successful. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You just always wonder, like, sure, was she just not Where'd getting that enough from? attention at home? Right. Where she was acting out to get attention elsewhere, mm-hmm. which is really sad because then that just like stays with them as they get older, and then. But I don't know when she started this. You know, right. I don't know if she started in grade school or whether she started in high school or you know what. Right. Or maybe she just started when she was going to college. I I don't know when she started this behavior. Uh, after she was let go from college, she moved to D.C. and worked at a hotel, probably stealing from there. Also, I'm not sure as to the time period of the following incident, but a hairdresser stepped forward and reported that Brittany had failed to pay for a full weave of imported hair. Now, you can probably tell me that's probably really expensive between the service and the hair itself. So expensive hair. If it was real hair, especially it's it was real hair, not cheap. And it was imported. So I'm not thinking cheap. several hundreds of dollars. Plus it was in D.C. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking this is really, really very expensive service. So she stole the weave? Well, okay. So the service was done. She had her hair. It was beautiful. But after the weave, Brittany claimed that someone had stolen money out of her purse, which she had left in the salon's waiting room. Oh, shoot. No, no, no. I thought you meant just the hair was stolen. That's expensive on its own. But the service service. takes all day. I used to do extensions. and But it is an all-day experience. Can you imagine not being paid for that? Oh, my gosh. Yep. When it was done, she went to get her purse, and she said someone had stolen it. She claimed that she had gone to a bank and had withdrawn $1,200 right before her appointment to pay for the salon service. And then Brittany went on to point fingers at the salon employees, causing a huge commotion in the store because there were still clients and stuff there, too. So the stylist is saying, well, why the heck did she leave her purse with so much money in it in the waiting room? Right? Right. I mean, that's just stupid. Me thinks it was a ploy to not pay, obviously, which, yeah, of course, well. she never did. She told the, the stylist, the stylist said, just go, just go, you know, and, and Brittany said, OK, I'll pay you. I'll, I'll come back and pay you later. Well, pff, she never did that. So she, oh. she got away with all that. I hate stories like that. That's just gut wrenching. Just I hate that. Brittany spent only a few months working at the hotel and then started working as an educator at the Lululemon store in Georgetown. And this was more down Brittany's alley. She wanted to one day own a gym and be a personal trainer. It's very probable that Brittany stole merchandise and money from that store also, and before she could be caught, she transferred to the store in Bethesda. 
I mean, mm. looking at her trail, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Her track record, yes. Back to the fateful night. After closing the store, the women parted ways. Jaina called the store manager about the stolen yoga pants. The manager told Jaina that the theft would be dealt with the following day. Now, maybe Brittany wanted to right her wrong, or maybe she wanted to plead with Jaina not to tell the manager about the theft. I don't know. But she called Jaina, telling her she had left her wallet with her Metro card at the store. Now, whether she did or not, don't know. That's never, I mean, I didn't see that anywhere. Did she have her wallet with her or did she really leave it at the store? If she did leave it at the store, was she thinking ahead by leaving it at the store? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I don't know. Jaina agreed to meet her and they entered the store at around 10.05. It was shortly after that that employees at the next door Apple store, remember I told you it was right next door, heard loud voices, banging, and screams. They heard a woman's voice asking, don't do this, talk to me, what's going on? Then later, what sounded like the same woman saying, help me God, please help me. Oh, jeez. No one called the police. How? how? None of the employees. How do you not go and check and see what's going on, if anything? Oh, my gosh. Did they not want to get involved? I mean. But that's the thing. If everybody just never wants to get involved, like. And then, I mean, you have to remember, these were stores on the high end part of Bethesda. Violence was just not, just never happened in this area. So maybe they thought it was just drama happening at the Lululemon store. I don't know. But when you have somebody's crying out. Help me, God, please help me. That sounds a little beyond drama to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, that's just a really, that's another part of the story that you just want to. After killing Jaina, which, by the way, lasted 15 to 20 minutes. And we know this because the Apple Store employees knew the time. that it was Oh, happening. my gosh. They even knew the time. And much of that 15 to 20 minutes, much of that time, Jaina was alive. Brittany moved Jaina's car to the parking lot. A policeman saw her sitting in the car, which she did for about one and a half hours. So she just sat there for one and a half hours. It was probably after she killed, well, obviously after she killed Jaina, sitting there thinking, well, crap, what am I going to do to get out of this? You know, but what puzzles me is she still had to walk back to the store. She must have been covered in blood. Yeah. Was she not seen? Well, she could have easily like, stolen a jacket or something to cover herself up i mean there's clothes everywhere covered with blood i know she there could was have changed blood. her clothes there's clothes everywhere though that's that she true. could have just that's changed true. her clothes she was off. in a clothing store so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> mom lululemon sells clothing <laughs> but nobody said anything about her not wearing i mean wearing nobody said anything about her bloody clothes to tell you the truth i never read any any reports about that <laughs> well even if somebody saw her, nobody would even report it because nobody's even reporting screaming happening next door. <laughs> no kidding. After she got back to the Lululemon store, she got busy. She tossed clothes and racks, removed cash from the till and the safe, put on the size 14 men's tennis shoe that were in the store. I mean, they were for sale in the store and tracked blood throughout the store. So hold on. I have to ask this. Why and how did she kill Jaina? Like, I just don't understand how it got to killing her. 
We don't know because she's never actually told anybody what really happened. Hmm. She maybe she was so scared of getting caught because then she would be chucked out of the Lululemon and this was her way to get her, you know, training. I, I don't know. Maybe she just lost it. You know, maybe they did get into a fight and then Brittany just lost it. I, I don't know. I have no idea why. Don't know. After she walked around the store with the men's shoes, she superficially cut her head, face, and hands. She cut her shirt, and then she cut that slit in her pants. She bound her hands and feet with zip ties, which, in fact, the zip ties did have her DNA on them from her spit, (laughs) and laid on the bathroom floor, waiting for morning and the opening of the store. So wrap your head around that. You have brutally, and I will tell you how brutally she killed this woman. And then there's blood everywhere. And she zip ties herself up and she just lays on the bathroom floor waiting for morning. She's literally desperate, though, for anything at this point. Like, she's got to tell a story. This is the story she's going to. And she's got to go through with this story. She's got to stick with it. Yeah. So from like 11 o'clock, 1130 to the next morning at eight, she laid there. It, mm. it, okay, I've informed you of what happened after that, you know, when the, she was found and they called the police and, and everything, except for the fact that because Brittany wasn't talking, detectives called her brother Chris in to talk to her at, one, at the last interview. So this was the fourth interview, the one that Brittany actually called and said, oh, yes, I do remember. Let me come in and talk to you. And at this point, the police already knew, yeah. I'm sure. They and so now so they're just waiting for a slip for up a, of co- where her they to could confess. really. Yes. Yeah. So the detectives called in her brother, Chris, to talk to her, hoping for a confession. While the siblings were left alone in the interrogation room, Chris flat out asked Brittany if she was guilty. Her response, I don't want to talk about it here. We just go home. I'll talk to you at home. That's what she said. She also kept asking if they were being recorded. And Chris's response was no. And even if they were recorded, the recordings could not be used in court. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chris. Did he know that he was wrong or did he think? No, he really thought he was right. Oh, shoot. It's like, dude, you were in an interrogation room. I I don't know what crime shows you've been watching, but. You are in an interrogation room. I mean, you're already there, dude. (laughs) He then went on to give her pointers. Pointers? Yeah. For example, he made her aware that when she lied, she had a tendency to look down. So he was giving her pointers of how to conduct herself, basically. So can't he get charged with, like, conspiracy? No. Working with her? No, no, because she never confessed to him that she did it, but he had an inkling. Well, I have an, I have an inkling just from <laughs> saying, I don't want to talk about it here. Are we being recorded? I'd be like, oh, you did this. When their older sister Marissa showed up, Chris told her that Brittany had confessed to him in a roundabout way. Yeah. So basically, he was giving her pointers because he knew that she was guilty, but this was yeah. his little sister, you know, and I see uh, that's that 
I guess you don't know until you're in that situation. Right. Like a sibling or a parent or a child commits this crime. Like you don't really know what your reaction is going to be. But at the same time, she murdered somebody. So as much as you love your sister, (laughs) like she obviously needs help or like that's just right. I don't know. I guess you don't know until you're in that situation. Exactly. But remember, at this point too, they didn't know. And I keep saying this. I mean, murder is a murder, but they did not know at that point how extensively the entire murder had gone. They didn't know all Brittany had done to Jaina at okay. that point. Okay. They just suspected that she had killed Jaina. On March 18th, 2011, Brittany Norwood was charged with the murder of Jaina Murray. Her trial began on October 24th, 2011. It lasted eight days. One of the people on the stand was Deputy Chief Medical Examiner Mary Ripple. She told the jurors that there were no fewer than 331 injuries on Jaina's body. Oh my gosh. Which came from at least, probably more, five different weapons. This is sick. Also brought to the jury was that the weapons were all from the store, mainly from the store's toolkit. A hammer, a knife, a rope, a box cutter, and a metal rod that was used to hold up mannequins. Of those 331 injuries, 101 of them were defensive wounds. Oh, jeez. This is how it was determined that Jaina was alive during most of the attack. That and the noise that they were making but also the extent of the defensive wound. Okay, this just makes me this just makes me even more pissed off at the Apple Store people. 331 wounds. And obviously a fight was definitely being had with over 100 trying to protect herself. That's not just little bits of screaming. Can and a you imagine bit of drama. how loud that would be? I mean, they were screaming. And then Jaina was screaming in her horrible pain. And it, I mean, she died in the back room right up against, I mean, just close to the door, the exit door. So she had tried to fight her way out of the door. Over 331 wounds. Oh, if you hear something, say something. Like, oh my gosh, that is so... <sighs> that's, that's awful. What eventually killed her was a stab wound to the back of her neck that severed her spinal cord and went all the way into her brain. Jaina sustained such horrific injuries that her family was not able to have an open casket at her funeral. So what caused the attack? The stupid dang yoga pants, maybe? I don't know. But the brutality? The brutality? She could have stopped any time during those 20 minutes. She could have stopped. She not only didn't stop, she grabbed other instruments, other things that she could use to kill Jaina. I mean, that's... Just think about that. No, it's 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 horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I mean, she had to stop for a, a, a minute to grab something else. So why in that minute didn't she, it, it hit her? What the heck am I doing? You know, unless she was so, I don't know. <laughs> Needless to say, I got pretty worked up looking at <laughs> doing this. There was so much evidence that pointed to Brittany being the murderer that her defense actually admitted that she did kill Jaina, but it was second-degree murder. There was no premeditation and no motive. Oh, God. It was a crime of passion. Brittany had not planned to kill her. By the way, the motive, which the prosecutor said was the yoga pants, could not be admitted 
to court. It could not be brought to the jury because supposedly it was hearsay. Oh. So there was, according to the jury, from what they heard, there was no motive. Right. You know, why did she do this? I I don't, she had no motive. But even with the motive missing, the prosecution had plenty of evidence and used it to point to first degree murder. I mean, like I said, even if it was second degree murder going into this, right? A crime of passion going into this. But she had plenty of time. There was there were several times in there where it went from second degree murder to first degree murder, you know, where she knew what she was doing. Yeah, you definitely you're switching weapons. You know what you're doing. Like, yeah, and you're and doing it on purpose. Exactly. You know, you're doing it mindfully. You know exactly. That's premeditated. You pick up another weapon after this one that you just used. That's premeditation right there. Yeah. Because you know what you're going to do with that weapon. Anyway. It's disgusting. Okay. <sighs> disgusting. On November 2nd, 2011, the jury found Brittany guilty of first degree murder. And on January 27th, 2012, she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole and sent to the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women. To back up his sentence, Judge Robert A. Greenberg said, quote, You are one hell of a liar, ma'am. A person who could commit such a crime stands very little chance of rehabilitation. Hmm. So he said, no parole. In early June 2014, Brittany and her attorney filed an appeal stating that she had never been read her rights. <laughs> And the testimony was flawed. Oh, my God. But on April 29th, 2015, the appeal was denied and her sentence upheld. So, sorry, Charlie. Meanwhile, Jaina Murray, the incredible young woman who loved life, loved to travel, was adventurous, intelligent, and had an amazing future ahead of her, is still very much missed. Her murder left an unfilled hole in many people's lives. Now, I... I like, uh, have you ever, uh, Dr. Grande is on YouTube. He talks about crime. I I like to listen to him. He, I mean, he covers like every case. He covered this one. And in his podcast on YouTube, he suggested that Brittany had a level of greatness in her mind that was the opposite of reality. She just didn't see reality as a, a whole. She stole things because... Maybe she deserved them. She thought she deserved them. Hmm. Um, She wanted to be a trainer, not a lowly employee at Lululemon. And the yoga pants were a little compensation for her bad luck because she deserved those pants. You know, it was just, he he said, I'm not diagnosing her. I'm just thinking that maybe she has this personality disorder. I can see that. Perhaps even she sees Jaina's death as Jaina's own fault. Had she just let these pants go, had she just let me walk out of the store with these stupid little yoga pants, I would never have killed her. So it's like Jaina's fault. Brittany's life is a very good example how little crimes have a good possibility of escalating into larger crimes when not held in check. You know, nobody ever in Brittany's past would have said she was a violent person. Yes, she lied. Yes, she stole. But she was never a violent person. Everyone described her as being very kind very nice god i just i wonder what you know what no it doesn't even matter what made her snap it was totally wrong like it just doesn't doesn't make any sense i think made her snap really pulls this whole thing together she snapped yeah thank you for introducing me to i've been holding on to it though 
what is with the Metro card? Why am I supposed okay. to remind you of the Metro card? So I don't know names. According to the Metro card, it was from a prostitution center that helped prostitutes. So it was thought that Brittany was working as a call girl or an escort or something like that also. Because of a Metro card? Because it had been used to go to that place? No, it had um, Metro cards have your name on them. Right. But this one had the name of the the prostitution center. Center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just a center that helps prostitutes try to get No, I understand. Yeah. Like they have like homeless shelters have, I'm sure. And then they fill it up like as an allowance for travel for work and stuff. That's interesting. I'd never heard that. No. I didn't know whether to put that in there or not because I wasn't, you know, there there were several sources that did say it, but then some sources totally left that out. So Oh, that's uh, fascinating, though. Hmm. Not that that matters, but I just do wonder if she was suffering with paying bills or, you know what I mean? like Living in D.C.? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's true. She's Ugh. sick. She's very, very sick. Ugh. Okay. Ugh. 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 Are we wet? Are are we wetty? <laughs> My drink is gone. Are we ready to move on? <laughs> I'm wetty. Whatever you are. <laughs> My drink is gone. Oh, all right, everybody, shake it out. We're moving on. Yeah, shake out the anger. Shake out the frustration. I'm telling you that this drink does taste like a sweet tart. I'm actually like, I bet you could make it into a shot form. Oh, I bet you could. I bet you that's what. It, it, bet you it's should really. We're not even going to finish our sentences. It's really good. (laughs) Okay. Quote, the damned place is haunted. Sure as shooting. Unquote. (laughs) Did this quote intrigue you? Maybe the fact that it is a quote from our 33rd president will intrigue you. (laughs) (laughs) You like to go back to the presidents. Do you know who our 33rd president was? I'm so stupid when it comes to that. I'm sorry. You are not stupid. It's hard. That is Harry S. Truman. This is how President Harry S. Truman described the White House back in 1946. The damned place is haunted. Sure as shooting. Really? I am going to share some presidential hauntings. Haunt. What was that? As a drum roll, sort of. (laughs) Sounded like something fell. Uh, Hauntings of the White House, presidents that haunt the White House, as well as some stories of presidents being haunted. (laughs) Okay. And I know your story was from Bethesda, Maryland, but I mean. It's close enough. It's like 20 minutes away. So sorry, Maryland. I just really wanted to cover this. Hey, Brittany worked in D.C., so it's fine. Okay, perfect. See, we're tying it all together. (laughs) Truman's story is interesting. He went to bed around nine o'clock and around three in the morning, he awoke to knocking on his bedroom door. He wrote a letter to his wife. The letter is archived in his presidential library and museum. And the letter states, quote, I jumped up and put on my bathrobe, opened the door and no one was there went out and looked up and down the hall looked in your room and margie's which is his daughter Mm -hmm. still no one went back to bed after locking the doors and there were footsteps in your room whose door i'd left open jumped and looked and no one there the damned place is haunted sure as (laughs) shooting secret service said not even a watchman was up here at that hour 
you and Margie had better come back and protect me before some of these ghosts carry me off. Oh, jeez. There's our fearless leader. <laughs> Stories of the White House being haunted date all the way back to the 1800s. First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln was huge into spiritualism. From what I understand, Abe was a bit of a skeptic. He seemed to maybe just humor his wife, only attending two of her seances. Although a lot of spiritual things happened to Lincoln, and Abe Lincoln is actually known as the White House ghost. He is the one seen the most in the White House, and that is why I picked this cocktail. If you Google Abraham Lincoln's favorite drink, his favorite drink is water. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, I'm drinking that. (laughs) He was really not much. Oh, it all makes sense to me now. (laughs) He's really not much of a drinker, but it is said that his favorite cocktail, if he were to have one, would have been the Jack Rose cocktail that I am drinking. (laughs) He really liked Applejack, I guess, but it also said that like, He really, really was not much of a drinker. And so when they would have parties and stuff, he would make sure, though, that he would have a couple sips of champagne so that people didn't think of him as a stick in the mud. (laughs) Yeah, that's my excuse, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. According to WhiteHouseHistory.com, which is literally the White House Historical Association's website, I thought it was a very credible site, Mary Todd Lincoln did many, many spirit circles, and seances in the Red Room at the White House. Oh, really? Keep in mind, this was the height of the Civil War, Uh and spiritualism was huge. Right. This was like 1862-ish. But she was also grieving the death of two of her four sons at the time. Oh. Actually, only one of her four sons would grow to be an adult. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Edward died at four Willie died at 11, and Tad died at 18 after his father died. Wow. So these weren't baby deaths. These were into their childhood. Jeez. Robert Todd was the only one who would live to be an adult. And the death that hit the Lincolns the hardest was their young son, William. William died at the age of 11. Like I said, he had contracted typhoid fever, which... I guess some believe that he got from contaminated water that was supplied to the White House. Mm -hmm. But he died in the White House in 1862 at the beginning of the Civil War. And Mary Todd, she held many seances to try to contact him afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so Lincoln was married beforehand and his first wife died of typhoid fever. And then he married Mary Todd. And a lot of people say it was just kind of out of necessity. I don't really know. I didn't look into much of that. I didn't have a lot of time, <laughs> but it really intrigued. It really intrigued me. He lost a lot of people in his life. And I, I guess was, he had a he, Abe Lincoln, like man, he had quite the life, but William's death really hit him hard, like really bad. William is said to be seen in the white house a lot. Uh, he was reported being seen by the grant administration in the 1870s. So probably like 10 years after he died, he was already being seen. Did you know or have you ever heard of the dream that Abe Lincoln had foretelling his assassination? Yeah, I told it that one uh, when I was talking about that one town and the train, Abe Lincoln's train goes through the town. And I I thought you had. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just think it's so fascinating because he was not a believer in, he was really a skeptic and all this stuff, but yet he mm-hmm. had all these things happen to him. Right. So I know mom shared it. I thought you had, but literally 10 days before he was assassinated, he had a dream of a bunch of people mourning in the White House surrounding somebody who was dead. The person was covered with a sheet and he didn't know who it was. In the dream, he asked a soldier that was standing guard who was the dead man. And the soldier replied, the president, he was killed by an assassin. And this isn't the only creepy story about Lincoln. Apparently around the time that he was first elected to the presidency in 1860, he was back at his home in Springfield, Illinois, and he saw a doppelganger. Really? Yeah. He was looking in a mirror and he saw himself as he was, his real face, as he called it. But next to him in his reflection was his face again, but paler and like meek, very meek looking. His very superstitious wife prophesied that the more clear reflection meant that Lincoln would serve out his first term successfully, and the paler image meant that he would be renominated for the second term, but would not live for all of it. Oh my gosh. And so for somebody who was a skeptic, I just think that that's so crazy that these two things, I mean, those are yeah. a, a doppelganger. Those are that's huge. Scary. Yeah, that's scary. Grace Coolidge, the wife of our 13th president, Calvin Coolidge, was the first to see Lincoln's ghost. She saw him standing at the window of the Oval Office. He was staring out the window with his hands clasped behind his back. A creepy haunting, I think, that has to do with Lincoln is with Anna Surratt. She is said to be seen and heard banging on the doors of the White House, and she's heard pleading to see President Johnson to have her mom pardoned for Lincoln's assassination. So Anna's mom was Mary Surratt. Mary was convicted for being a part of the conspiracy which led to the assassination of Lincoln. Okay. She was hanged, and she was actually the very first woman to be executed by the United States government. And I think that was in like 1865. But her daughter, Anna, is said to be heard banging on like she came to plead for her mom's life. And so Mm -hmm. her ghost still comes and bangs on the doors of the White House. Oh, begging the new president, Johnson, for her mother's life. And I just think that's so scary. So eerie. Very eerie. It is said that his presence was felt by Eleanor Roosevelt as well as many others in Lincoln's bedroom. But my question is like, yeah, sure, you feel a spirit, okay? But how do you know it's Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, how do you know spirit? it's Lincoln? Right. Right. And it's called Lincoln's bedroom, but it was never really Lincoln's bedroom. I think it may have been his office, but really it's called that because President Truman had a bunch of Lincoln era furniture put oh, and he into put it in that there. room and oh, named it okay. Lincoln's bedroom, but it was never Lincoln's bedroom. And this is the room though that everybody feels Abraham Lincoln. Well, his stuff was moved in there. So his it's stuff Lincoln would have... era furniture. Oh, not even Lincoln's furniture? No. Oh, forget it then. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to I was trying Stop. to back him up. <laughs> Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not happening. So although President Ronald Reagan's dog would never go into that room <laughs> and he would frantically bark at the entrance of the bedroom, 
And I don't know about you, but I trust that kind of stuff for sure. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know why dogs can sense that and stuff, but I, I truly believe they can. And if my dog's not going into a room, I'm not going into a room. <laughs> okay, moving on from good old Abe. More haunts according to whitehousehistory.org. Jeremiah Jerry Smith was a worker in the White House. He started as a footman in the late 1860s, but also worked as a butler, a cook, a doorman, and the official duster, which <laughs> I wonder if that's as it sounds. I don't know. I didn't look into that, but it said he was the official duster. So I'm like imagining like he was the official duster. Like he walked around with a rag and like. No, with a feather duster, not yeah, a rag. Yeah, feather duster. Feather duster. <laughs> yes. He walked around the feather duster and he just dusted everything every day. That was his official job title. Is that what an official duster is? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if that's really what it is. I should have looked into that. Sorry. But he worked in the White House for 35 years, and he claimed to see many ghosts while working there. Lincoln, of course, but also Presidents Grant, McKinley, and several First Ladies. Dolly Madison protects the Rose Garden and is seen oh. wandering it. Abigail Adams used to have her laundry hung in the East Room to dry, and many have reported the smell of wet laundry, and I'm not sure what that smells like, but wet laundry, I don't know, but people say So can you pick a room that you want your laundry to dry in? I'm wondering if the East Room had a lot of windows or something, but... Why wouldn't everybody dry their laundry there? I don't know, but Abigail Adams claimed the East Room as her drying room or her laundry room. That's so true because ghosts are seen with like large laundry baskets and the smell of lavender, like lavender soap fills that room. But yeah, you're right. Like, how do you know that that's Abigail Adams laundry and not <laughs> Dolly Madison's laundry? You know what I mean? You're absolutely No, I right. know what you mean. It's like, how many laundry rooms are there? <laughs> I know. That's so true. Again, you feel Abraham Lincoln and that laundry that you smell <laughs> is Abigail Adams laundry. Like, I know for sure. Okay, so this one gets me. Our ninth president, William Henry Harrison. He served only 31 days in office. He was really old when he was elected, and he died on his 32nd day in office as president. Jeez. He was the first president to die in office. Anyway, he was only in office for 31 days. Wow, Beth, I don't know how many times I need to put that in my notes. You guys get it? He was in office for 31 days. <laughs> but he haunts the White House in the attic. Again, I don't know how people know it's him, but it said that President Harrison haunts the attic. Maybe he left something up there. I don't know. But for some reason, it is particularly him in the attic. <laughs> Maybe they all have their designated rooms. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson plays his violin in the yellow oval room. Okay. Now, these are all older stories, right? Like, what about some newer ones in our lifetime? Well, I guess Reagan was in your lifetime. But yes. Anyway, <laughs> newer stories <laughs> and more music. Jenna Bush, president to president. <laughs> 
Nada. Nope. Nope. Daughter to President George W. Bush from 2001 to 2009 heard music as she described from the 20s coming from her fireplace one evening. I mean, it was loud enough to wake her up. She told her sister, Barbara, who didn't believe her. So she decided to sleep in Jenna's room the next night and they were awoken to opera music like (laughs) coming out of the fireplace opera coming from the fireplace the girls were of course terrified and told some of the white house workers and they were like um sorry to say it but that's not news to us we hear that all the time oh that's a good story (laughs) who's so who's stuck in the fireplace oh hold on okay (laughs) music is apparently heard a lot in the white house 20s music, opera music, and piano music. The piano music is said to be President Harry Truman, who was known to play the piano a lot. He loved the piano. And here's another fantastic sure as shooting quote from him. Quote, my choice early in life was either to be a piano player in a whorehouse or a politician. And to tell the truth, there's hardly any difference. Unquote. <laughs> Sure as shooting. Sure as shooting. Okay, so this is creepy. First Lady Michelle Obama went to visit some school children for something or another and for some reason started talking about ghosts in the White House. So this was reported (laughs) in 2009. I know. That's what I thought. I was like, you're visiting kids, but let's talk about ghosts. This was reported in 2009. She said that she and President Obama often heard footsteps and strange noises in the hallways at night so loud that they would have to go out several times to investigate the noises, finding no one there. And other times, she, as well as President Obama and their daughters, would be awoken at night to what felt like something was gnawing or chewing on their feet. Ooh! Was it a cat? Some say it was maybe an old White House pet. (laughs) But, like, super creepy and, like, why is she telling school children this story? Why would you tell kids that story? <laughs> that is ter I mean, I could say know your audience, but even I'm terrified by something chewing and gnawing. That's from her exact quote was something gnawing and chewing on her feet. That is so freaking scary. Like I don't know about you guys right now, but my toes are curled right now just thinking about it. Yes. I'm looking under looking under my desk going, Well crap, I can't see what's under there. I I mean, it's just like the word snake, your toes like curl. Like or <laughs> spider, your toes curl. Something gnawing or chewing on your feet. Like that is that is terrifying. That was right after reading Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> what? She used to go and read stories. You know, most of presidents' wives go and read stories to children. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was like, wait, I'm not following this joke. What happened in Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> I don't remember Eeyore or Piglet chewing on anybody's feet, but I don't know. Oh, my gosh. So the Obama girls, though, they experienced these haunts as well. Like all the noises and the gnawing on their feet. <laughs> the gnawing. And one night during a sleepover with friends, the girls shared these haunted tales. So they're sharing these ghost stories like, you know, any teenage girls with their girlfriends. And they start to hear really creepy like noises like footsteps and whispering. And the whispering was hard to make out at first, but it seemed to be President George Washington. Huh? 
the girls claim it was Washington and their friends were they're They're all freaking out and they're hearing this whispering. The whispers go on to say how great the girl's father was doing in office and how proud of him and the uh, and the country George Washington was. The girls were like, OK, this is super weird. And they they're like, we got to get out of this room. So they leave the room and they hear this pots and pans just crashing in the kitchen. And they're just like freaking out. I can imagine it. Just, I can imagine it. Just these young teenage girls just screaming. Oh, yeah. But they're in the kitchen, truly enjoying a good laugh, was President Barack Obama himself pulling a prank on the girls. <laughs> I figured as much. But I'm sure they were screaming. Can you imagine being in the White House, which is haunted? And I mean, then, it's just old. Like, And then, uh, yeah. Those poor girls. <laughs> and they're sharing all these ghost stories. And then they start to hear whispering. Oh, my gosh. To wrap it all up, I'm going to bring it back to Abe Lincoln and share my favorite story from all of my research. Susan Ford, daughter to President Gerald Ford in the 1970s. Again, a president you would have been around for. Anyway, one night she literally ran smack dab right into the ghost of Abraham Lincoln in Lincoln's bedroom. It scared her so much, she refused to go anywhere near that room for a very long time. Well, one night, she had a friend over, and on a dare, the girls decided to sleep in that room. <gasps> they were freaked, but the friend sounds like me, and <laughs> she's like, girl, let's go see some ghosts. Let's just go sleep in there. <laughs> so they're sleeping in the room when they actually start to hear something. The girls are terrified as they see this white apparition rise from the floor. It was Susan's mother, Elizabeth, in a sheet. And the best part is she stood there <laughs> in the sheet reciting the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's excellent. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. She had like a top hat on and then had the sheet on top of her. And then she's just standing there reciting the Gettysburg Address after the girls went to sleep. I thought that was so funny. Sure as shooting. That was funny. <laughs> sure as shooting. Oh. oh, well, you definitely lighten things up. Thank you. Well, you know, we were close enough to D.C. I had to cover a D.C. story. So yeah. dun, 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 there you go. Dun, 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 dun. So enjoy that Jack Rose or... As I call it, a sweet tart drink. It's really yeah, tasty, tart. honestly. Mm. Mm. Maybe we'll have to do sweet tart shots more together. I mean, technically it is a shot because it's two ounces of the liquor and then an ounce of lemon and a dash of... Yeah, it's not so very... It's not. It wasn't a very big drink full. at all. No. No, no. Especially when you're guzzling it. I didn't guzzle. <laughs> all right. Well, remind our listeners where they can catch us. Well, go check out our website, KillerHangoverPodcast.com. And from there, you can find links to our social media. We also have all of the resources from this episode and photos from this episode. If you want to buy us a drink, there are links to that in the description of this episode. Different ways you can buy us a drink on Venmo, PayPal. There's some options there for you. We really appreciate it. Also, join us on our Patreon we have the Ghost Adventures rants and raves and reviews on there, which is always a really good time. Some extra episodes coming for you. And it's just a really nice way to support us. We really appreciate it. And if you join and Patreon. Pretty exciting. We are taking a trip to Astoria, Oregon. And we have a ghost tour and a couple of fun things 
lined up for our trip, our girls trip. So, and we'll also do some fun videos and snippets into our girls trip on our Patreon. So make sure you join us there and on our social media to catch the fun. Yep. We are taking a girls trip and we're really looking forward to it. We're it going with going our sisters. Fun. Sisters, sisters, two other skeptic sisters are going to go <laughs> on a ghost hunt with us and booze. <laughs> Except Chris said, Chris goes, I, that's my sister. And she goes, oh, when I told her we're going to go on a ghost investigation, she goes, uh, I don't know how that sounds to me. <laughs> Well, it's going to it's it's going to be quite the night because I was talk I was chatting with the owner of the butcher shop and we're going to go in the underground. And this is all on Ghost Adventures. She was on Ghost Adventures and god, I'm just I'm really so excited. But she was saying that we need to go to the whiskey bar that is like two blocks from the butcher shop. And she's like, "You guys need to start there." And then so I'm I'm just really excited. Start there to investigate or start there to drink. <laughs> To start there to drink, stick into the theme of our podcast. Hello. Well, I don't want I don't want any true crime. Thank you very much. So oh, that's true. Well, the history of the underground is a bit of true is, crime, so yeah. it is going to definitely stick to our theme. I'm excited. I am too. And I'm- if you guys have any recommendations for while we're in Astoria, we're Astoria. We're only going to be there for a few days. But if you have any recommendations, shoot them to us. Okie doke. So excited. All righty, friends. Well, I am going to go to bed. All right. (laughs) Well, this is another good one, Mom. It was. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.